0: Radio, broadcasting from Costa Mesa, California on the All Warrior Radio Network. Friday to you. And and greetings from Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. The home of the 2nd Marine Air Wing. Yeah. I served with them in Afghanistan. That's right, and uh, when I was with RCT One, and I have to tell you, man, I'm a huge fan of this wing. They were awesome, so it's always good to be back here and uh, and work with them. They uh, they treat me great. Uh, the Marines are excited. Um, it's very cool. Um, General Cederholm. Sergeant Major Rife. I mean they've done a lot of work here and uh, you know they've linked the wellness of their Marines to setting operational readiness records hours flown aircraft up pretty amazing stuff and pretty exciting stuff and uh, they're very gracious to me and um, I say the post-traumatic wing has been a part of it and and again, you know, post-traumatic winning for an organization is about lethality. It's not about getting in touch with your feelings. As a military organization, it's like, hey, when we play You Go Bet Your Life, the more people we have that are better, the more people that we have that are focused, the more lethal we are, the better we are. So, um, yeah, very cool. Very cool. And... Uh, been back here since uh, started out at new river earlier this week and then came up here on wednesday and uh get to hear the f-35s taking off around here nice nice so uh be here again uh today friday and then uh head down to beaufort on saturday and uh, do post in a couple of days at Beaufort. Hopefully, I'll get to see some of my friends down there. They're, hopefully, they'll be around, and then uh, and then head back home on Wednesday. So, uh, so good morning to you. The, Munsa, the Mensa brothers are uh, going to join me here in a minute, and uh, I think you'll enjoy the segment. And we cover about everything, which I, which are the kind of conversations that I enjoy, honestly. Right, too much military stuff, you know. I like to hear about their lives because it's always, it's, it's always it's always interesting, right? And they always have funny, funny things to say about their own lives. So, um, so we do. We cover a whole lot of stuff. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about the Ukraine. We talked about some leftover business from last week. Uh, specifically, the phrase hope's not a COA. And uh, where you hear it, how it applies, does it doesn't make sense, you know, said in different settings? And in some settings, I would tell you it does. If you're a planner or you're an operations guy, hope's not a COA, especially if you're an American. You have every asset. And you shouldn't be dangling anybody's ass out as a planner, right, if if you're relying on hope. I mean, hope is a desperate measure. If you're at the tactical level, sometimes that's all you got. I mean, the way things develop, you know, um, you may have to assume some risk you wouldn't normally assume. And in those cases, as Jeff rightly said, you know. So, again, I th- it depends where you are in the food chain. And uh, And Will actually says something pretty intelligent. How about that? About about that. So we have an interesting discussion about that. Uh, we talked about the Ukraine a little bit. You'll get to hear everybody's opinions about that. And uh, pretty interesting development this afternoon. And we recorded this last night. So Wednesday night to you. Uh, but today the United States released um, a statement saying that the Russians were going to attempt to use some kind of videotape of an attack um, as a premise to invade the Ukraine. And so, it's kind of interesting when you watch that. that Those are information operations. And you're watching it, right, very high-level stuff, strategic-level stuff, messaging. And so, the question is, you know, is that true? If it is true, the United States using some pretty powerful collection stuff to keep track of what's going on with the Russian forces and then using it. So uh, pretty interesting stuff this afternoon. It'll be interesting to see that, what comes out of it. And the question is, you know, has Vladimir Putin kind of painted himself in the corner? He expected NATO... To roll a little bit easier than it is, and I think you know one of the things you heard last week was none of us are believe that he w- really wants to invade the Ukraine because it's too much of a roll of the dice. And again, one hundred twenty-five thousand, you know, people in a country that size. You know, think about what happened in Iraq, and the Iraqis won't, you know, didn't fight like the Ukraines Ukrainians will. And so, um, so again, interesting stuff playing out on the world stage. So, without further ado, joining me on this Friday are the Mensa Brothers. It is Friday, and uh, joining me, uh, this is one of the great joys of my life now, is introducing Jeff Kenny first. Um, the small things in life that make it worth living. Uh-huh. And so joining me, and I'm not sure which White House he's at, is uh, Jeff Kenney. Jeffrey, how are you?
1: I'm good. And you boxed me there because you had me turn myself on mute, so I had to go through the gyration of unmuting myself as you're talking about how great it is to introduce me first. But I'm in San Clemente now, um, living like Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, you know. going um, to work. <laughs> trying not to drink. Looking forward to a podcast every week. That's my life.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. That's a, that's a pretty grim picture or painting to include the podcast being something that you look forward to. Well, it's
1: just a depressing end for a man who was the best analysis officer in England, and later was the man who defeated General Buck Naked. I'm reduced to this. In A small room, talking to three other abrupt dicks, <laughs> losing myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's post traumatic.
0: That, I think that's post traumatic losing, as of, by <laughs> definition that you just articulated for us. But you'll be happy to know this. So I was doing post traumatic winning. I'm in. uh You're right. I'm in Havelock, the home of. Uh, Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. uh, But the past two days, I've been at uh, New River. And so I went out to dinner last night. I went to the Texas Roadhouse in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Okay? Now, you rubes don't know this, but that's pretty high society stuff in Jacksonville. So I'm there uh, with the Lance Corporal and his wife. And another marine walks up and he says are you the guy that gave the class today and i said no i'm not and he says what (laughs) and i said you must have the wrong guy and he said no i don't i'm like then why did you ask me (laughs) so anyway after those kind of pleasantries are exchanged um he wants to introduce me to his wife and he does and he says you know i started listening to your podcast today and i said oh really he said yeah, he said, that stuff about the American boys was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right in the middle of Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, your recreational reading touched at least one person on the other side of the planet.
1: It is. I'm interested in those things, those guilty pleasures, you know? So There you go. Yeah, oh, that's... Uh, i got a million little
0: vignettes like that. Oh, but, we- uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Well, hey, there you go. Developing fans everywhere. And joining us from McAllen, Texas, Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you?
2: Uh, doing great today, Matt. Doing great. I must point out to you that Jeff Rowe and I and his and his charming wife, Lori, had dinner at the Texas Roadhouse in uh, outside of Lejeune during, uh, when uh, Dawi had his change of
0: command. Oh, really? So you were pa- yeah. you're patrons of this high society part of Jacksonville?
2: But it's whenever you go to places where we've all been and you go to the high-end places, Jeff and I have already been there. That's always okay.
0: <laughs> you know, um, I actually wanted to go to Outback Steakhouse. And um, Outback Steakhouse came to the Hellman Province and fed us, if you can believe this.
2: That's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it is. It's like we get this, you know, I don't know who would have done, made that announcement. Maybe it was the XO. I don't know who the hell it was. But it's like, hey, Texas Roadhouse is coming to Dwyer to feed everybody. And we were like, what? Okay. Okay, next question, right? What are they going to feed us? Uh, They're going to feed us steaks and potatoes and bread and some kind of vegetable. Okay, so... Which Outback Steakhouse? I mean, are we talking about the like the one we'd see on TV and one we've gone to? And they're like, yeah. Are they going to bring any bloomin' onions? Yeah, I don't think they can do the bloomin' onions. That's a little bit beyond their technological capacity here. But they're coming here with steaks, and they fucking did. They made steaks, and I want to say somebody was with them. Uh, who's the guy that played the sniper? What well, one of the Wahlberg brothers? Oh, yeah,
3: oh, yeah,
1: oh, I think Mark. so.
0: Mark. Marky Mark. Yeah. Yeah, was Mark. Yeah. But also, Marines wanted to talk to him about was his role in Boogie Nights. <laughs> 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 that's no bull. That's no bullshit either. <laughs> I think I think he was actually promoting the movie back in 2010 or something, and but they they wanted none of it. They wanted none of it. And who's he married to? He's married to a beautiful woman, I think. Because they kept, they kept, they kept on him, right? And uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, that's hysterical. Tim's got a problem though with his uh, mute button, and he did it again. I mean, he did it last week in the middle of the podcast, where he uh, he had an actual lung event during the podcast, and he he thought he was on mute, and then uh, he scarred the rest of us by taking on a trip, taking us on on a trip of his black lung infection. And uh so Tim, what's the problem?
2: Hey hey man, I've got I've got a malfunction in my uh um my fancy ass microphone here. What the hell is this thing? Anyway, when I hit the mute button, like I I got the mute button on now, you can hear me. I don't know why. My yeti my yeti is not po- cooperating. I've got a Okay. All
0: right. Well it's always good to know because it's never a good thing when you think you're muted, but you're really not. I mean, people like me oh, okay. get in trouble over stuff like that. So, and Jeffrey, pff, he would be gone. He would be gone from the reservoir very quickly uh, if he had if he had a button like that. And joining us all from uh, the greater Kansas City area, I can never remember if it's on the Missouri side or the Kansas side. Um, but I, I am pronouncing his name right. Will Costantini. Will, how are you?
3: Costantini. Kansas.
0: Constantini, Kansas? There's a city? Like that? They've named it after yeah. you already?
3: No. Name and state. Oh. <laughs> and it's good here. It's six inches of snow and 15 degrees outside the Midwest. I, uh, I have failed in my global warming project once again.
0: You've consistently failed in that.
3: I know, but I've been throwing those plastic bottles right in the trash for years and years, thinking it was going to bring on global warming. So you know that that's a farce. Everyone out there, don't worry about recycling. Throw your stuff away. It has nothing to do with global warming.
0: What? A- well, you're kind of a global warming expert now that you're reading global warming data books, yes, would you say?
3: Anyone with a scintilla of common sense can be a global warming expert. Really?
2: Yeah, You have to have a huge, huge education to start believing in that kind of nonsense.
0: So what what is your data? You you I just listened to the podcast yesterday because I I I was traveling, and I was getting ready to do my thing, and I was doing my thing, and I didn't have a chance to put it up until yesterday because I always have to proof it because Jeffrey gets creative sometimes, and uh, and so I have to make sure that 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 his creativity is appropriate for for our, for children who listen to this and. Um, <laughs> And so I was listening to it and I heard Will waxing eloquent about um, the data that he's reading relative to global warming and that global warming is a real phenomenon, but everything we're doing is not helping. Blah, 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 blah. But I think the most, of all the things we talked about in the last podcast, you know what I thought was the most interesting? Other than everything Jeffrey said about the Ukraine. And I do have a couple bones to pick with Jeffrey about things he did say. I th- I thought that the container thing to me was fascinating, and its effect on you know. And then Timmy said what eighteen cents a ton? Some uh,
2: ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's what Google
0: said. Yeah, well, there you go.
1: Mm-hmm. I that too, man. My brother Paul is uh he's a manager of uh the uh, offload and unloading piers, some of the piers in Norfolk. And uh, he manages offshore and stuff. He, he's really knowledgeable about the whole shipping container thing. He said that about half of what Will said was spot on, but the rest of it is not. So, um, but it's shit that you got to know if you actually work, you know, with shipping containers every day. That's what he does. He moves them around and shit. You know? So I thought that was pretty good.
0: Oh, you know, cause the, the I know will someone the, asked me that will got a fifty percent that's not good
1: from an expert from an expert yeah, come on, on. It's like, will's a railroad guy, but he knows a lot about shipping containers. Uh, but the longshoreman type people you know they uh that's what they that's what they do you know,
0: yeah, well, they should know a lot about them because they it was keep designed to keep them from stealing shit, so I would think that. They would have had to learn a, yeah. a lot about them so they could break into him and steal the shit now. Because it's not like they're going to stop stealing. But and I want to
1: talk. If you guys had debate, that would be like. It would be the most important debate ever for most people. But, you know, it would still, you'd get knowledge by the end of it, for sure.
0: I want to talk about hopes, not a koa. I want to talk about that saying. Yeah. I think it depends where you live in the food chain whether it's a valid saying or not. I think if you're a tactical operator, you're right, Jeff. But I think if you're a planner and an ops person, and that's your job to plan and and and, and do it, then I think, it, I think it's a valid statement there. Because I, I heard you say it again. I started thinking about it. I thought, well, I mean, I've heard it in conjunction a lot with, hey, hope's not a COA, man. That's not the way we do it. Right, but you were talking about at the tactical level when you're out there with your ass hanging off. Sometimes that's all you got.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's usually all you got. I think we, you know, it's a dynamic situation. People are moving, changing. You know, it's just um, you're just you're hoping that your information is right. I guess that's what I meant to say. Right.
0: Right. No, no, no. I really don't. But no, I, I think it's it's. I think it can be valid in both cases, right? I mean, I, I think as as a planner and, and an ops person, right, is is that's you know putting stuff together and, and 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 putting things in motion. That's one thing. As an executor, you live in a different world, right? Uh, you know, and and there's a little bit different standard. So anyway, I just that that occurred to me as I was listening to you, Timothy.
1: Well, you hit people who thought 120,000 people in Iraq in 2004 was a good idea. Because I mean, I, I guess they hoped that it would that
0: it would work, but it didn't. It no, 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 no. So. This is how stupid they were. They didn't even hope. They thought it would work. You know what I mean? They probably. They would, oh yeah, the secretary said he just fairy dusted the whole fucking thing with his fairy wand. You know? Oh, it will, they'll be zooming around, whacking everybody, and then everybody else will like get in line and and do what they're supposed to do. That's how it'll work. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I, I just wanted to point out, as as a resident academic who's uh, stuck right now in the sociology department at University of Texas, you got to define hope before we can talk about this rationally. What do you mean by hope? What does hope mean? See what I'm saying? But the hope is not a quote coa. Jeff is absolutely right. Sometimes it's all you got to go on, knowing your own capabilities, and hoping that's enough to get the job done, which invariably normally is unless you're well doing but again
0: videos. And, and no that's absolutely that, that's absolutely valid but to say that it's it's a bullshit statement if you're a planner and putting things in motion it's not a bullshit statement because that's not how you should be planning i mean especially if you're a fucking american for god's sakes
2: yeah i sh- I, I sure hope those guys that uh, what the hell was it hypo
1: were right about that uh, midway thing there's a hope that was a co-op yes, no i mean- it's, the truth is, what happens is if you don't know something, you have to make assumptions. That's part of the process. Yeah, exactly. process.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, exactly. So But hope is not a co; it's just a macho bullshit thing that somebody who you can't fucking tell to go fuck himself because he outranks you says.
2: Yeah. You know? using, you're a, a major, using a poorly defined word too. God damn
1: it! I just have to stick to that point. About that. Mm.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't agree with that. But I lived in a. But again, I lived in the world of of plans and operations where you can't ask somebody to hang their ass out just on a hope. Now during operations, I think what Jeff's right. there articulating is you're going to make a, a a million different decisions as you go through it, and sometimes you know you assume a lot of risk and you're hoping that nobody hits you, and I, and that makes sense to me. But in terms of as a planner, and and in terms of you know the designing and the execution of operations, you, as, to the best of your ability, you don't want to send anybody out there just hoping that it works, right? And hopefully, it's designed better than oh, that. Yeah, If
1: you yeah, if you, do, if you can possibly help it, right? But we do assumptions. You know, are, right. are part of the planning, part of the. What we call problem framing now, we used to call mission analysis. You know, mm-hmm. so and that, that's and that's the most important step, I think. Planning process is you know basically redefining the mission, base and then you know matching it against your capabilities and what what you need and what you know higher can provide you. You know, so that's um, that's how you get rid of hope as a
0: You know, that that's what you do. Right, and then in the execution now, right, you are going to run into situations where. You know, you, I mean, the, the, why does the title on desperate ground jump into my head, right? All of a sudden, this thing evolves and changes, and your ass is out there, and it's not what we forecasted, and whatever's coming isn't going to get there quick enough, and sometimes that's all you got is hope, as Jeff rightly pointed out. So anyway, William?
3: I, I would, I would oh, say that oh, for them, 10th quarter, and their assumptions were wrong, but you're right, Matt, yeah. I would say the transition point is between <laughs> risk and gamble. So, oh, I'm reading this questions. book. Reading this book about the history of the uh, of the revolution, and it it talks about the attack on Trenton and uh, Christmas Day of '76. So Washington's in New York. They get kicked out of New York. They get chased across New Jersey. You know, all the way across the Delaware River, they're sitting in Pennsylvania, and the enlistments are about to expire. And basically, if his army um, doesn't do anything, the, the revolution is lost. And so they put together a rather audacious plan to cross back across the river and go to Trenton. And it's risk, but they calculate the risk. And they have planning, and they gather all the right boats. they got people that can move the boats. They figure if they can start... Uh, across and be across by midnight or so. They'll be at Trenton before dawn. The forces will wake up and there'll be a big surprise. Well, then they get to the river and they don't get across until four in the morning. And so now Washington goes from risk to gamble. And he has to hope that this plan can come together in daylight, potentially without the surprise that he thought he was going to have but he's committed to it so he's taken you know he's he's as a planner he was very thorough in his risk what he was willing to risk in the execution phase he's he's in a huge place of uncertainty and he has to take a gamble and it's a huge gamble at that point because the force could be destroyed if they don't have if they don't have the factors that they thought and then that's the end of the revolution and so I would say there that might be the transition point. Risk to gamble is where hope uh, becomes part of what you know, what you've got to have.
0: Wow. That's very well pulled together, William. The um as you were describing oh, you, Michael. <laughs> as you were describing that, um, I pulled something off Facebook one day that uh your wife posted and it's i still have it on my phone and uh it's a picture of washington crossing what the delaware river right and it says americans right. i'm reading it right now willing to cross a frozen river to kill you in your sleep on christmas totally not kidding we've done it right <laughs> <laughs> it's it's <all. laughs> i remember seeing it the first time i saw it and i laughed my ass off uh but it was it was awesome the um any other uh you know i, I remember general zinnia in his, his pme at the basic school that night talking about being as part of the planning process quantifying risk as a commander if i do this what do i and it goes south on me what do i lose right do i lose a part of the force do i lose territory do i you know do i lose the whole enchilada and the concept of quantifying risks associated with the course of action and uh i can still hear him talking about that so and jeff teaches that as a matter of fact i think so so
1: midway last day of midway is an example of that where bronze he doesn't risk anymore he's already won everything that's safe to win and he pulls back you know where some of the staff that belonged to halsey till the time halsey got sick they were wanting to press on and totally try to totally destroy the japanese he's like hey you only got uh you know two functional carriers, and they're pretty well banged up you scored big four four Japanese characters changed the whole odds of the war i'm i'm kind I'm pulling my chips in and cashing them right now you know so that was a good example of of not you know taking that extra because he rightly figured juice might not be worth a squeeze you
0: know? yeah that is you talk about. Um, big time decision making, and can you ima- imagine sitting in those um, those? They didn't even have COCs yet, I don't think. I mean, they were just ra- radio 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 rooms and things, listening to the calls of 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 the aircraft when they got in range or or whatnot. I mean, how? I, in fact, I, now I'm kind of curious. How did they communicate with their aircraft? I mean, were they out of range?
1: Staff was clustered in the chart rooms behind the bridge, where all the maps yeah. were uh, kept and stuff know, that
2: know that later right. yeah. Go ahead. i'm sorry jeff I, I know later on in the war they would pipe through the various squadrons uh attack nets all through the ships, so everybody could hear. I don't know if they had that capability at midway though by forty three or forty four yeah. um they were they they had they had they were monitoring communications and broadcasting them to the crew.
3: But you got to you got to think that those squadrons that were attacking the Japanese were out of range because it had to be VHF right. yeah. on, on board uh, the airplanes, and so they had to be out of VHF range back to the carrier at that point. I think it was a Oh, great, that's, that's true.
0: would they have been UHF? Uh, is that how aircraft, aircraft talk UHF? Yeah. Either way, huh? yeah. Either way, you're not hearing
3: them. Line of sight,
0: right? Yeah,
2: because right. I'm I'm referring to like Okinawa and Iwo Jima, and they're battling within visual sight of the of the of the, the ships. So I guess that gotten the plot.
0: A guy that was the. Well, the... Go ahead, Joe.
1: Not that this is necessarily accurate, but in the film, you hear the pilots saying, "Look at that bastard burn." Okay, I got two guys on my ass. Help me out here. You know they're they're, like, they're talking on the radios and the guys are in the um you know it's like uh, General or Admiral Fletcher and I'm uh, the uh, oh fuck what was it the, uh, the banged up uh, you know the banged up uh, carrier um, but anyways uh, they're they're hearing the, the gun the you know the actual attack on the Japanese carriers so this might have been later on like the the second day when they were when they, when they really scored big but. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, not that that means that that's accurate. they might have just done that for dramatic effect for the movie, huh? right. but uh, you actually hear 'em you hear the pilots they hear the pilots over the radio. I'm running out of fuel you know where's the carrier you <laughs> please turn on the lights and all that type of shit right, um,
0: right, right, right. Oh, great theater now I'm just kind of curious how they did find out or or if they put PBYS up to relay or how how they would what, what the comp plan was. So we we need we need to we need to find that out. Speaking of what you were talking about, Timmy, um, I had I met this guy. He was a friend of a second lieutenant friend of mine. It was in Charlie Company One Five, and I met him one time at a party in San Clemente. One time in my life, he comes to North Dakota, and he hears I'm doing a radio show, and he brings me these cassettes, and he and they're oh. CBS recordings of. The 4th Tank Battalion ashore on Iwo Jima. And one of the tank company commanders had been the uh, president of the University of North Dakota. And I knew him. He he was on Guadalcanal right at the end of the fight. Um, he then became a, a tanker and went ashore on Peleliu. His tank drives over an aerial bomb on Peleliu and, and it explodes. He's the only one that survives because he gets launched out of the hatch, right? He's got the butterflies of the fifty cal that was on the tank ripped him open from like his sternum to like his uh, his pelvis, and he said, "I'm laying on a stretcher in an open air hospital, like, right, That has mason some kind of masonry building with the with a top blown off of it. The stretcher's on two sawhorses. The two battalion surgeons who were my friends, right? He said I was a captain at the time. They're both my friends." They had run out of general anesthetic. So they gave me local anesthetic as they started working on me. So I'm laying on the stretcher. I'm looking at the blue sky, and they're talking to me while they're working on me. And I'm like, are you shitting me? He said, no. And then one of them says, hey, Tom, this guy's name is Tom Clifford. He's just a great, great guy. He says, "Uh, your appendix doesn't look very good. Do you care if we take it out? And he said, I'm laying there, and I said, now go ahead. And I feel this, like, snip, snip, and then I hear this, poof. <laughs> and I said, so you got two for one. And he said, yeah. And now he's a company commander going uh, going to Suraniwo Jima. And I had him on the air, and it might have been on the annivers- one of the anniversaries of uh, of the fight. It might have been on February 19th in one year. And I turn on this audio, and it's him on the tactical net of 4th Tank Battalion, and they're talking, and they call each other by nicknames, like, he says, Java Joe, Java Joe, this is Tom, over. And you can hear the machine guns firing. <laughs> Where are you guys? Well, we made our way up by the first airfield. We're looking for the, the, uh, the O3s, right? And they're around here someplace, and he stood there. I thought he was, uh, he would have fainted, but it was like, he was just stunned. Right. And I played, I don't know, there might have been like two or three minutes of it. And when it ended, I looked at him and I said, have you ever heard that? And he looked at me and he said, not since that day. No way. I swear to God, it was amazing. Who the hell would record the tactical net during World War Two of the tank battalion? And then the son of a bitch survives and nobody throws it in the garbage. Like, what's that? I don't know. Get rid of it. Right. And it survived. But it was I mean, to and then he starts explaining. He said, wow. He said it's brought back memories. He said, you know, we land. We we got told we probably weren't going ashore, you know. And then within the first few hours, we get told to get ready. And then, you know, they had these lanes cleared and and we tried to get through. The sand was horrible to get off the beach. You know, all this all the stuff you've read about and seen. But then once we got off the beach, you know, then we just became magnets for everything. You know, and he said, and the poor, any poor grunt that came near us, you know, those poor bastards, cause, cause the artillery was falling on us all over the place, of mourners, but, but it was, like you said, it was fascinating, you know, to, to watch him hear something he hadn't heard in what, it would have been around 2000, so <coughs> 55, 55, years. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the Ukraine a little bit. Um, what, uh, this week broke squelch, Timmy?
2: Hey, I muted myself. Um,
0: what what, what? Brooks what well, me was... How do you know? Okay, say something while you're muted. That's how we know.
2: No, no, no. I've actually figured this all out. Hold on a second. Watch this. <laughs> Did you hear that? No. Yeah, that's because I didn't have the input selected to the Yeti microphone. That's why I figured it all out. It's only taken me about three weeks. <laughs> Sorry. What was the input on? Um, The input was on. Apparently, these stereo headphones have a microphone to them, too. So, I was so you to, haven't
0: even been... You've been talking at the Yeti, but it hasn't been on? Uh,
2: no, it hasn't been connected. Yeah, I've been doing this for at least probably two months now. I know. It's it's weird.
0: <laughs> anyway, you
2: sound really good, though. Hey, thanks, man. Well, now I'm talking to the Yeti, so I should. All right. What, now, bro- the, the, what the only goals? thing that? Uh, well, well... Not much. Uh, I, I know that we've, we've uh, seen articles that are talking about the fact that this is for Putin's domestic consumption because that's where his problems lie. I know, that, I know that all of us have talked about that a couple times over the last few months. And so that wasn't exactly new to me. The fact well, that we're but synonym- I want to
0: develop that because I made the comment while you guys were saying that, that I'm not really that steeped in internal Russian politics. So could you guys wax eloquent? What? Who is he playing to and where is he at risk that he is, is doing this for internal consumption? Could you guys develop that a little bit?
2: Well, well, I, I, I think last week I was mentioning that he has the same problems that China has with keeping capital inside the borders of Russia because of his oligarch buddies. Uh, they don't trust Russia. That's why you find Russians thick as fleas in Dubai and places like that where they can put their money. So he's got financial he's got cash money issues um and and i believe that's i believe that the the russian people are are facing again economic hardships all kinds of problems things aren't exactly prospering for them over there and the one way to get everybody united is of course to start focusing their uh, outward your aggressions out to people that um in the case of the ukraine a lot of russians feel that they that ukraine belongs to them to begin with
0: anyway so, so, so that to me again. So, is is, is this t- internal tension? Is that rising in Russia? I
2: I don't I I have no way of knowing that. I only am repeating from reading various background briefs. You know, over over the months, I know that that Will glommed on to the exact same thing. I've read it several
3: times. Will, would you like? like,
0: so would you like to lend your intellect to Tim?
3: No, I mean, I got uh, just general reading of. Uh, you know, news sources, um, you can see Russia is, you know, it's sort of a jacked up place, right? They extract wealth out of the ground and ship it. And so there's a huge internal tax on that, both the government tax and then a corruption tax. And there's haves and not very, very many. And there's a whole lot of have-nots. Their demographics are collapsing. Um, I, I think their population is declining. Um, you know, the government doesn't deliver services. Uh, so I think it's sort of a standard playbook, as, you know, Tim has said several times. Uh, instead of focus on the inside, get them to focus on the outside. And, uh, you know, I don't know that Putin is all that subject to popular opinion, Um but at some point, you want uh, compliance, at least amongst, you know, your, your fellow thieves at the top of the government. So um, All right. that's where that's where I get it. OK,
2: and, and real quick, I want to add something else, which is the, the unending stream of Russian videos of car accidents. And the reason you see, though, is see those is every Russian has a camera in his car so they don't get screwed adjudicating traffic accidents. There, there is no trust whatsoever for the legal system at all, which is why they all have cameras in their cars and catch all this bizarre crap that makes endless YouTube videos. It's not a pleasant place to be right now.
0: They, there's endless YouTube videos about Russians filming. Oh, Russian car crashes. Oh,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. He, Russian dash cam car crash. Some great stuff. Oh, yeah. That's you
0: really can spend stuff. hours watching
2: that shit. It's unbelievable what they do. Yeah. But that. that's because they all have cameras because they can't trust the cops to do the right thing if they get in an accident. Got it. So I mean that's that's the, the way that they're living. It's it's not too good. But on, on what did I learn this week, I just will I turn it over to Jeffrey. I learned on a of, I saw something from uh, from uh, uh the sandbox news guy that the Collingrad the port that they have that's stuffed between Lithuania and uh and Poland, they're warm they're their warm water or warm water port for their fleet, they've got a little gap that, that shoots right into Belarus from there. And they're, they're jacking up people in that port city, too. So there's a lot of mischief they can get into if they want to. But, I mean, in order to do that, they'd have to come through Belarus to get to Ukraine. But Belarus is a friend, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. But that's that's the only new thing I learned. I hadn't realized that Kalingrad was right there between Poland and Lithuania, on the Baltic, that's uh that's a and that's a large that's a large piece of land with a lot of a lot of dudes and underarms sitting on it. But other than that, not much. Uh, I, I still don't think he's going to invade because everybody in American uh, government thinks he will invade. That's a pretty good indication that uh, he probably won't. Got I stick
1: with that.
0: All right. Well, any any new observation this week?
3: I got to tell you, I haven't seen a whole lot of news. About it, um, you know, I, I uh, I've i been looking more at internal U.S. economic stuff as as much as anything else. Um, but I haven't. It doesn't seem like there's been a lot. What's his name? Zelensky said, you know, I don't know why President Biden is doing all this stuff. He's basically setting off a panic. There's no reason to leave Kiev or Kiev. If you're a Ukrainian or Russian speaker, um, it, it's it's almost laughable to me when we say, "Oh, we're shipping you know six thousand troops over there to do what? No idea. To show resolve, really? Um, yeah, we got a long way to go before people are going to believe U.S. resolve on things. So, I haven't really paid a whole lot of I didn't pay a lot of attention to it before. I'm not paying a lot of attention to it now.
0: Got it. Jeffrey
3: Well, um, I listened to the leaders
1: uh, for the last couple of weeks, and like will was saying what Zelensky said is illuminating to me because uh, you know this, uh, this alarm over what's going on in uh, as far as the Russian border with Ukraine and the Belarus border with you know the hundred thousand plus troops there is pretty much uh, a production of the United States you know, media directed and made in statements made by the White House and so forth. And so Zelensky said, hey, calm down. You know, let's just simmer down here. This isn't that big of a thing. Um, meanwhile, you know, almost simultaneously, Biden's having a press conference. He says, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, Putin has to do something. Why does he have to do something? He has to do something. He has to. He has to he'll, like, there might be like a small incursion. And uh, meanwhile, we're moving troops in there. So I think what's going to happen is, there is going to be, there's going to be a small incursion, and the Russians are going to say they're doing it because they want to discourage NATO from, you know, amalgam from uh, you know, folding uh, Ukraine into their, uh, into their alliance, which NATO doesn't really seem to want, and really you haven't heard the Ukrainians say that they want it really, and so what's going to happen is they're going to take a piece of Ukraine that's mostly populated by Russian ethnic, you know, types. And the, the, uh, the Ukrainians are going to put up with it as so long it doesn't go any further. And the whole thing's over with. And the only one who looks bad in the whole deal is the United States because we sent our troops over there, and they still went in anyway. And uh, and what when, what Putin will say is, uh, well, you know, I have to do this because the United States doesn't pay attention to our, our security concerns. And our security concerns is that, that the Ukraine becomes part of the uh, I mean, how would you feel if, uh, you know, we decided, you know, back in 1987 that, uh, you know, we're going to make Austria part of uh, the Warsaw Pact? Because, you know, a minority wanted that to happen. What would you guys do? So, you know, there'll be that type of back and forth, I think. But I think it's a big kabuki dance now. You know, the uh, the, the reason the United States is doing this is to keep attention on all the other fuck-ups that are going on. The China, uh, you know, the stuff that's going on in the United States on the border. Uh, everywhere you look, it's chaos. And, and you know, even the, the normally loyal news, uh, you know, agencies that are loyal to Democrats in general and Biden in particular are starting to crap on the guy. They're worried about it. So that's my take on it this week, which is significantly a change from last week. But, you know, it's a dynamic situation. We only have a little bit of... Uh, uh-huh. A little bit of information, and we don't know how good it is, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying the cynicism of the uh, Putin and Zelensky, and to a certain extent, President Biden.
0: I would, I'm surprised that um, NATO um, with Germany, they essentially, you know pushed back on, on on Putin and said no. And I think um like we were talking last week I mean I think he's on the verge of having overplayed his hand as I think everybody rightly pointed out. You know, a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty five whatever he's got in, in, in that gigantic country. Um that's uh and so to me it was kinda interesting when Germany just kinda went quiet you know, and you know, I to me that's at least standing, you know, nominally with your NATO partners, right? And then everybody else looks and says no. And so I thought it, I thought it was kind of interesting. I, and I'm kind of you know. So and then what did Putin say in his, in his press conference he had this finally had this week? He said, um, America's pushing me into war. And I mean, I find that kind of humorous. I mean, he's the one that massed 125,000 troops on the border, and it's like, and and in my mind, were the things that that we talked about last week about, you know, that's not a small the hate, you know, that between those peoples, and Putin knows it, and that's not a small endeavor that he's he's he, he's threatened to embark on, and then you know and there's been to me an unusual amount of like solidarity from nato countries which i which i did not expect it kind of surprised me and then i you know as i watched i I thought has he already overplayed his hand you know and now he's got to find a way to get out of it and 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 he kind of did by saying you're trying to provoke me to go to war and i don't want to and i thought oh there is there's his out right and so, to me, I don't know. I think that that what we said last week is the most, I think the most likely, you know, uh, thing that will happen, which is he will seize a small amount of land, which will, you know, you know, vindicate his pride, and and then on that pretext he'll declare victory and say this was all I was looking for, and then I don't know, we'll, I don't know if we'll negotiate some other missile agreement or what, you know, blah blah fucking blah. But well, I thought it was I thought it was kind of interesting because I thought my fear is that the West would like start start capitulating immediately, and I haven't seen that yet. So, so I, I was kind of I was kind of uh, interested to watch that a little bit and to hear what he would say. And I was amused when he said that you know, again, NATO's a defensive alliance. I mean, it's you know, the, the, you're, yeah, th- you're you're threatening me. Right and then and then what I, one of the things that I'd like you know that I heard was um hey look these these are free nations. They have the right to decide for themselves and we are not gonna tell one of the things that you know came out of the United uh the State Department or the President was we are not gonna tell Ukraine they cannot be a part of NATO. And I was like, Whoa, right, that's kinda of butch right there and uh I thought, well, we'll see where that that thing goes, and so I think it's been kind of a little bit, and I had a chance while I was flying back here to to read and and i and I read a little bit about that stuff but um i I'm surprised at that the what that nato the nato nations and uh um have kind of held together when I thought that they would uh there was certainly danger of Germany being pulled out so I think it's kind of an interesting little kabuki dance going on.
2: How much do you think you? How much you do you think, think you, in, you in a to Germany,
1: That's a joke, by the way. I might be muted so.
2: <laughs>
1: no, <laughs>
0: you weren't muted. We couldn't understand you though. I said,
1: we just saying this because you got an invite to Germany." The recent past. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, what what I was going to say is over our twenty year debacle in Afghanistan, a lot of those NATO companies had detachments in there who did not an inconsiderable amount of fighting, not an incons- and, and and I know the Germans up north weren 't that effective, but they did get pretty good towards the end and uh well, as, as did hey, why don't you why don't you
0: educate us about that because you know a lot of those a lot of the coalition of the willing right goes there because we pay their combat pay right right exactly right? and, and we pay all their logistics and you have to put them in some place that's not going to be contested and those are the conditions that they'll sign up to be a part of your coalition for the of the willing uh so talk to us about who fought tim okay.
2: Well, the, the the Germans did get good at fighting, particularly because they're working out of Mazar Sharif, which was very very calm in the northern part of the uh, of the country. But up further northwest from them was Kandus, and that was always a problem with the Taliban because they uh, they moved a bunch of Pashtuns in there uh, during the Soviet times, I believe, or sometime before that. But there, but but so the Germans got good enough. The only I didn't have much interaction with them. I bought in a UN guy, <laughs> who. Had who had caught his nut in a zipper and, I mean, was bleeding like you've never seen. I mean, gushing blood, and he was screaming. So we rolled up into the German place there and, uh, and got him into a, a doctor and whatnot. And while I was sitting there talking with the guards, I was uh, I was admiring their, their machine guns. And he said, oh, yeah, the flesh and Wolf, and we use this a lot with the Taliban. And I liked it. They looked like they knew what they were doing. I know from reporting, from U.N. reporting, they were getting out and getting after it. I ran into the Norwegians in Kabul. They were the special reaction team's mentors, and and I don't, you, you don't want to see any of those assholes in America because they're all of them look like that damn guy that's in Thor. are like six foot six and all kind of goofy and friendly and stuff. You know, so you don't want those guys around. But they were getting a lot of activity with the with the uh, Kabul. The, the critical response team. Excuse me, that was Norwegians. So let me ask you,
0: Timmy, th- so did those guys go out on a mission with him? Were they trained? Oh yeah, no, no, they were embedded. No, no, no. I, no, no, they, no. I, I was,
2: I was standing, I was standing next to him. The last during my last few months in Kabul, they grabbed another building and and they ended up fighting all night long to get these guys out of the building. I was down by the uh, by the store by the, by, uh, I, I was down in the reserve. I, I, I'm taking pictures. And I and I turned around and I took a picture and the Norwegian guy next to me caught around in his neck and he goes, Ah, the bastards, they shot me. And he wasn't even that upset about it. They uh, but they made me leave after that. But they were um, they were Uber competent and the Kabul reaction team, they were out once they were out all the time. Those guys were fighting. The Georgians were fighting down near uh yeah. and the poles down in Ghazni. I mean fighting, fighting down in Gosney, and uh, then you had the uh, the Australians and the Dutch and, and of course, the Brits. Uh, uh, but the Australians and Dutch were in Ruzgan, which, which was always bad guy territory. Those guys fought.
0: Yeah, no, and I the, wonder how the, much the, of the, that... The Georgians fought their ass off.
2: Yeah. Oh forget it. Yeah. yeah. They also would, would, would strip defects of all the chow. They had a they had to have a special thing for the Georgians about not taking chow from the defects, but they love Otis Spudmucker muffins apparently. Selling they were selling them, you, know, you could see them all over Kabul. That damn polish were selling to
3: or whoever.
1: <laughs> but but at, at any point The point at, is they're not they're they're not they're spotty across the board. I mean, when, Tim and me, when you and I were there, the Italians were up there in Wardak. They made deals with the fucking Taliban. Oh when no, you know, there's something. Deal you know, the but, Brits made deals with the Taliban. I heard they, that too. They're, they're not the French weren't about making deals; yeah. they're about fighting. So that's oh. the whole point. NATO sucks.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not, no, I'm just saying some of those NATO some of those NATO formations got considerable combat time, and how much of that is influencing their current their, their current uh, um, the way that they're dealing with Russia now? Because they're not they're, it's the, the Russians haven't had don't have anybody with serious co- uh, combat time unless they're getting them back from Wagner. The, the Wagner LLC company, and we don't know what the impact of all that fighting was for those European formations, but the, a lot of those guys saw a lot of combat, and they, they weren't that I bad.
1: I don't know if you're right about this, but well, I think they fucked pretty much across the board. My experience, I while well, you and I were both there, I mean, they up there in Wardak, they left Wardak, and the, the, the French came in, and they got hammered because... The Taliban had all these deals and shit, uh, with, uh, with the Italians. Before. Yeah, no, you're,
2: you yeah, yeah, you're talking, you're talking about Sarobi, dude, dude, down there, down south of Kabul. And, and
1: i no, no, no not Sarobi, because we had my brigade the I, I was the, the the head of. We had, you know, we had, uh, Nandahar, Kunar, uh, Akhman, and Nuristan. The guy next to Ordak, and, um, and Logar, and, uh, I don't think, and if, if something happened in Sarobi that wasn 't us we weren 't advising them.
2: no no, no i 'm talking about the French. It was before you got there, brother. When the French took over from the Italians, they got in a fight in the Uzbin Valley outside of Sarobi and, and and got their asses kicked, and it never happened again after that, the French were all business, and they were they were working logmen at the time, logman, Kabul province and and she, they would show up at the Taj at Nagara or special forces guys they 'd show up there for happy hour on Thursdays.
0: Let me let me let me read you guys an email. While listening to the Friday, 28 January Mensa Brothers show, I was reminded of something that you may not be aware of regarding Ukraine. Just a fact, probably not pertinent, and surely not part of the decision-making process of our government. A Ukrainian army unit took over a portion of the One Math AO in Iraq from my battalion, Third Battalion, 23rd Marines, in the summer of 2003. More specifically, Al Kut and the rest of the Wazit province. They were part of the Coalition of the Willing. I think they were bloodied by some Shia militia in the fall of 2003. So huh. the Ukraine army... The Georgians, G- they had this, like, I don't know, this goofy little hat that they would wear.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it had... A, and there's
2: it had those peak bills with yeah, the long...
0: Yeah. yeah, it had, like, a little beanie and Cecil top to the hat and a weird... And you looked at it and you're like, what is that? Is that like a uniform? And you just find that shit? And you're like, oh, no, it must be their uniform because it's the same material as their utilities. But I will yeah. tell you this. They w- the Georgians worked for us in Iraq um, at, at, up by the Haditha Dam. They guarded the Haditha Dam. And you fuck around near the Haditha Dam at the peril of your own existence because they didn't bother Mirandizing anybody. They Mirandized <laughs> you with a 50-cal. Right, and that was their that was their IFF technique. Do, 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 and they would fight too. So, uh, so interesting, interesting. The um, all right. Any other observations about the uh, about the fountain in the Sa- at the San Clemente Inn that had to be cleaned that no longer exists? Um, about um,
1: I think my place to stay though. Now I'll just say that.
0: Got it. Got it. Will's dog. How's your dog doing, Will?
3: She's great. She loves the snow.
0: She loves the snow? Fifteen
3: degrees, out, six inches of snow. She'll go out, roll around, lay down, and wonder why I'm calling her to come in. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate lab. I mean, the dog was bred to, like, break through the ice to get a, a duck out of the pond. Cold is, is irrelevant
0: to her. Do you have a dog, Tim?
2: Well, we had a, we had the the attack Max, but Max uh, we lost Max on the 9th of November, and uh, sudden, sudden he was twelve years old, and uh, Rebecca had had him since he was a, a a puppy. It was quite. It's a big hole to fill, man. A little little tiny dog, but a big hole to fill. I don't
0: know. Part of the family, yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, oh, yeah. do you have dogs? We yeah, do. We
1: have two Norwegian Alcans. One that's five, and one that's about uh, six months. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, cow. how big is? Cool dog.
1: And they're they love the snow too. They don't see much of Vegas. Uh, <laughs> it has been chipping, so.
0: Yeah, no. I have. Uh, <laughs> Jack. They,
1: they liked it. They love
0: Jack and Joe are two Jack Russells. Jack's twelve. Joe is about 5 or 6 and uh Jack jumped off the balcony of my apartment in uh in the uh Santa Monica kind of it's called Mar Vista it's in West LA between Santa Monica and Venice. Um I just moved there. I lived on the third floor. He's out on the balcony and he sticks his head through the grill and he's just watching cars and shit. I'm like and I'm unpacking stuff. And somebody was walking their dog down below on the sidewalk. And Jack looks around, and he launches from the third floor, like, I could do this. I got this. And I, I hear this woman screaming, and I think she's being assaulted. So I run to the balcony, and I look, and I and I yell down, are you okay? Because there was a guy down there. And, she's, and she screams, oh, my God, oh, my God, this dog fell out of the sky. And I look, and there's Jack. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I run down there and I'm thinking he's going to be paralyzed and I'm going to have to put his fucking ass to sleep. I'm going to be pissed. So I go running down and he's trying to get up, right? He looks like, uh, remember when Joe Frazier got hit by, who was it, George Foreman and Howard Coates? I was going, down goes Frazier. And he tried to get up on one knee and he kind of went sideways. Well, that was my dog. And I'm like, if you're fucking paralyzed, man, I'm going to be so pissed at you. But, uh, but he wasn't. He wasn't paralyzed. He just was concussed. And I picked him up, and you know, but I liked him more because I liked that. Like, like, yeah, I could fucking do this. It's only three floors. What the fuck? Like, I, I need, I need to be involved in this shit. But well, the funny part about it was, um, for the next three days, didn't move around so much, very fast. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you get for playing masters of the universe, man. You always lose that shit. He would get off the couch. Very slowly, and I'm like, "Yeah, tough guy." That hangover, how's that? Be? How's that feel? But uh Jack's a fighter, though. That's what I one of the things I like about him. He, you know, he doesn't realize that he's not a big dog, and he like he'll attack other dogs. And I have one of those retac- retractable leashes, so I'll let it go just a little bit till he gets his little fight on, and then I'll pull. Come here. What are you doing, you idiot? And I'm like, "Good boy, good boy. Here's a treat." So, yeah, dogs. What are you reading, Timothy? What are you reading?
2: Ooh, I've got a good one that just came out. Oh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up real quick because I know that Will is gonna want to hear this, and it is and audible. Targeted by Stephen Hunter. Do You guys know Stephen Hunter books at all? The good, uh, the the what the hell is it? The the family? Video? Yeah, it's like shooter and all those other
0: yeah.
3: Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. hold on, hold on. I have
0: a, wait, 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 wait. I have a dog question for Jeff. Jeff, I was at your place in San Clemente, but there was no dog there. Was there?
1: We yeah, had her. I don't know why she was. She might have been shy about coming over to dinner. Remember, we had the dinner in the boys' apartment. Sam, oh, think, that's the, right. That's right. So,
0: okay. yeah. She, your dog was there, though? there. Got it. And
1: the that books Tim's talking about, those are great, the swagger books.
2: Yeah, Swagger, Bobby Lee Swagger book. So this is.
1: Her dad, yeah.
2: So so this one was stimulated. Stephen Hunter was watching the, uh, uh, who was it? Gornich? Who was the guy that got roasted? Uh, the Supreme Court nominee. The 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 recent mail. What? Gork- I'm sorry. Gorsuch. Gork-
0: Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Oh, you This was inspired by the Kavanaugh hearings, and in it is a is a great story wrapped around a bunch of perfidious Congress people that are obvious, obviously Adam Schiff and, uh, and, and, and Pelosi. What? And, he, and he just what is prof-
0: tears them apart. What does perfidious mean?
2: Perfidious would mean somebody who has bad intentions and is slick and sly about it, according to my brand new definition I just made up myself.
0: Am close? you fucker! I, when you do that shit, it pisses me the fuck off. Because <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not doing the droney McDrone face thing or anything. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, but I'm, let me I'm, tell, I'm tell you, past that,
0: and and, the, and because when you do it, you don't hesitate at all. I mean, that's a sign of a that's the sign of a good liar, <laughs> well, right?
2: Yeah, I know. It's, well, you gotta you gotta know it. Hey, Will knows how this works, brother. He's the gambler. I'm just I'm I'm a Piker.
0: Did you notice that you know Will kind of gave us a little bit of an you know, when he was talking about risk, blah blah blah? You know, you could tell that not like he hasn't played that game here recently. I'm i I am in awe. I'm in awe uh, my you, buddy. When you play cards, Will, do you do you resort to hope often or are you pretty are you more of a are you more of a calculated guy? Does hope have a does hope have a is hope a koa in a card game? Uh,
3: it, it absolutely is Because poker is only Partially math And then there's psychology And knowing your opponents And sometimes you got to hope that they're not going to call your bluff So
0: Alright, so what are you reading now? Alright, segue into your, What you're reading
3: uh, So I'm still reading that book The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution I decided to take that chapter at a time because it's, I mean, it's rough sledding. What, pay, uh, what, what,
0: what page are you on? You were on 78 last time, last week.
3: Well, let me check.
0: Are you muted, Tim? So,
3: so today we got to 132. Whoa, well, that's impressive.
0: That's impressive.
3: And then I'm also reading a book called the compact history of the Revolutionary War by Dupuis and Dupuy and it's uh it's sort of a military history uh, of the revolution, and it must have come up in my feed at uh, Amazon yeah. um, because I bought this other book. it was buck ninety nine so I said, yeah, I'll buy that and it's actually good it's a good narrative um, these guys you know Trevor and I forget the other Dupuis name they've written a lot of military history and uh so they're you know they're good they under they get the narrative but they also they dig in a little bit and talk about some of the decision making and they also aren't afraid to argue with other historians about what their judgments were based on you know the information that people had at the time so it's a good book compact history of the revolutionary war dupuy and dupuy d-u-p-u-y
0: Give us a uh, give us something that you've read about the American Revolution that has surprised you.
3: Um, you know, I've I've read a certain amount about the Revolution, but I, I was just talking about this this Washington going across to Trenton at the time, and this these guys frame it up pretty clearly that. Um, had the British in, say, November, December of 1776 um, figured out that they didn't need to take a lot of territory, they needed to get George Washington in a Continental Army and crush it, they probably could have done it right then and there and ended the war. And, well, you know, I, I got to... Say yeah, I probably knew that, but the way they frame it, very sort of clearly, uh, in military and then political terms, um, I gotta think that they were they were very accurate. And then, you know, the idea of the well, let me ask you a question:
0: the- Why didn't they? Because they are the most formidable military on the planet at the time. Um, Is this the, the way Army- they had colonized and ruled their and conducted military ops in their colonies?
3: Well, part of it, I think, is that the, the Howe brothers, one was an admiral and one was a general, uh, when they first deployed, they were fairly, um, they weren't pro-American, but they, they sympathized with the American uh, cause in some ways. And so they had a dual mission. They, they were empowered as negotiators for peace negotiations, and they could offer amnesty. But on the other side, They also were the military commanders, so it's not clear that they um, they wanted to drive right to the heart, crush this thing internally. Uh, Secondly, they you know they they got kicked out of Boston, and then they went back. They went to New York, and they were basically putting together these sort of strategic campaigns to cut lines of communication and you know, all these other things that are sort of traditional military things without doing the real headwork to figure out you know it doesn't matter if you got New York and you got Boston and you got Philadelphia, if there's still an army in the field, the revolution lives. And so so that part and then the the huge impact that Trenton had um, in Europe, but also within the United States at the time. You know, Washington, after, after the British left Boston, had done nothing but lose, um, all of that fall. New York was, was not particularly well fought. Um, they, they lost a the big fort, uh, I think it was Fort Washington, as a matter of fact, where several thousand Americans had to surrender. And then they got kicked all the way across New Jersey. You know, they were running for their lives and disintegrating. I I think that only by calling out certain militia uh, and like totally consolidating everything he had, he had about 5,000 guys, 5 or 6,000. Wow. That was the American army on Christmas Day of December on Christmas Day in 1776. Oh. That was, what was left of it.
0: So, so the so the so the Brits needed Grant.
3: Exactly, the British needed Grant. Where goes Lee? Goes so goes your army. Uh, at that point. Well,
0: Jeffrey, Tim, Matt, Matt, Tim.
2: I don't want to take. I don't want no. Let, let Jeff go. I I wanted to. I'm reading another book that was on the Revolutionary War, and I had some answers, but, but I'll let Jeff go.
0: I'm okay. Sorry. Jeffrey, what are you reading?
1: I got that, uh, the book on my Kindle, uh, Red Handed, by Kindle died.
0: Got it. So I
1: got a way to revive it or just read the book some, some other way. Um, but my buddy, Mike Mayman sent me a copy to Vegas of the book that Timmy was reading by, uh, by Stephen Hunter. He's a huge, we're both huge Stephen Hunter fans. So, that's, uh, much <coughs> what I've been doing. We're revamping our whole shit in, uh, in ATB to deal with the fact that we're not working in, uh, CENICOM anymore. We're working in, uh, PAYCOM. So it's like, be doing a bunch of classes and stuff. So, you know, even if I had the books, I probably wouldn't be able to read
0: them. Tim, you were going to make a point?
1: But
2: what comment on what Jeff just said, though, in that in that Stephen Hunter book is an excellent discussion of the evolution of the 6.5 Creedmoor, and it's shit like that that you read in these books that's absolutely true, that makes it such a pleasure to read. And I have been reading another book called With Zeal and Bayonets Only, which is again part of this commanders series out of out of uh, out of Britain, and uh, and and their their discussion about the Civil War, which is what the book is about is the difficulty logistically of moving any spa- in any space or anywhere outside of the major capital cities he he invested in those cities to bring washington to fight him washington didn't fight him every time he tried to go into the into the country lane and get him their foraging parties were ambushed because uh, even back then behind every blade of grass was an american with a rifle and they had real problems unless they were winning when they went into new jersey before trenton A lot of the locals were helping them because they thought they were going to win. As soon as they start losing, the locals turn on them in a heartbeat because there was a lot of a lot of that going on, particularly in the southern states. But but the the Brits could never bring Washington to fight and they they could not logistically um, sustain themselves. And this book goes into great, excruciatingly boring detail. On the different ways that they that they deployed tactically on the officers' jobs and and how radically different America was from from England and as as far as spacing of troops, how they advanced, how they deployed them, it's a, it's actually kind of interesting. But um, but the bottom line was big country, not not heavily populated, lots of uh, terrain and vegetation they knew nothing about, and they floundered about as almost as badly as the Americans did. But um, that that, that it's a, it's. I'm getting more and more interested in reading about the Revolutionary War because there's a lot of assumptions I make that don't turn out to be true at all about how the thing rolled out. So I'm having as much fun as Will is, you know, going chapter to chapter. Only this one reads a little bit better because the Brits, you know, they're kind of tricky on that writing stuff. Yeah, just thought I'd add
0: that. Oh, we appreciate it. I, sure. I I I hardly read at all about the American Revolution, other than when I was a kid, which was, you know, might as well be nothing. Um I do remember Nathan Hale's story though. Right? I regret that I have one life to give for my country. That's some ballsy <laughs> shit, man. The um but if you're gonna get hung, why not say something ballsy, right? I mean what the hell. I mean there's a lot of stuff you could say. But uh yeah, Nathan Hale. The um alright. Uh anything I I had a interesting question about a conspiracy that I wanted to to get you guys to comment on uh, Havana Syndrome. <laughs> the CIA yeah. says the investigation uh, doesn't look like anybody else responsible for it. Tim, do you have a theory about this?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd say that that incidences of, what the hell was it that guy Rogan said, mass psychosis or, or, uh, there, there's more than a few incidences of clusters of disease type things that turn out to be, uh, um, no, nothing to them. It, it, there's no, there's no etiology or any kind of, of causation they can find other than mental, m- mental stress or mental whatever. I, I don't know. You know, and so that Havana syndrome that all these people come down with this very nonspecific thing. It's a lot like the Gulf War syndrome where everybody has this gigantic constellation of symptoms that if you take the symptomology individually, compare age groups. We've got less of it than any other person. The military a service personnel had less of whatever it was that this syndrome had than the general population. I, I think this is something where people started uh, I think it's a lot like when those damn missiles hit that base in Baghdad that had 3,000 contractors, none of whom had any kind of head damage, but every military, son, every military person, they had head damage. They had to go get a, a medical appointment, make sure that's documented. And we know why that is, because... Contractors don't get VA benefits and are not going to get any money for having said that they got hurt. I think that you might have something along those in the same lines. Oh yes, we've been we've been attacked by sound waves and now we're acting weird. I don't know. State Department act people act weird a lot anyway, so so who knows? But that's that's one of those psychosis things. That's I haven't said that right, but I I I, I I'm not shocked to find out there is no there there.
0: Will. Do you have any opinion? God, I just oh. quoted
2: Hilly Rodham Clinton. What an asshole. Sorry. Yeah,
3: I, I I would think that if, you know, there are, like, sound wave weapons that can be employed.
0: Um, Franz Geil had one at the base school when we were there. Oh, I'm not going to ask. Yeah, I did. he did. He used it on Freddy. Did he ever use it on <laughs> you guys? I know.
3: No, he didn't. <laughs> Um, was no. that a sound weapon or a heat weapon? I, I thought know. it was a heat weapon. It? It oh, I
0: thought it was away. a sound weapon. And put uh, on, I think it was a microwave. Put Freddy on his knees, right? I know. <laughs> he, let him, he let him test the fucker on him.
3: I know.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: so when the, first, when the thing first came out, it seems like a long time ago. Yeah, years. You know, years, more than five years ago, maybe not. Um, it seemed weird to me that that a country with the technological you know prowess of Cuba could have developed some sort of system that we couldn't detect immediately or hadn't invented ourselves, and so it just seemed weird um and you know, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it, and now you know the c i a says. And I don't, you know, how does the CIA get involved in this? <laughs> it, it just, well, they're, in control, they're, they're because in they're
0: experts in shit like yes, this. Yes. Let me let me let me, let me just let me read you a paragraph. An earlier interim <laughs> report from the CIA found that a foreign country is probably not mounting a global attack aimed at U.S. personnel. People who say they are victims of Havana Syndrome strongly criticize the agency's findings. But the CIA report didn't expressly rule out a foreign hand, at least behind some small number of cases for which investigators found no cause or plausible explanation. The expert panel finding was consistent with earlier conclusions from the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which found that Directed pulsed radio frequency energy appears to be the most plausible mechanism in explaining these cases. So, anyways, but the CIA said, yeah, there's probably not a foreign country doing this. Like, well, you know, and, and I
3: don't want to break any hearts out there, but, you, you know, the history of Agent Orange uh, is very interesting about on this as well. You know, as Tim said, with Gulf War Syndrome, the the people that were most exposed to Agent Orange were the air crews that were flying them. And, uh, and they're probably the most heavily documented medically of any light group of people in Vietnam. And they have lower instances of all the things that are now associated with Agent Orange than any of the other population out there. And uh, so... You know, who knows? I mean, I guess if you were near a trash fire in Iraq and you said you were near a trash fire, you're 50% disabled or something goofy like that. Who knows? I, I have no idea. And I don't want to disparage these people in this, this State Department that suffered from something. For all we know, they did. Right. It just seemed weird to me at the time. And it seemed weird to me that I heard that the CIA said, that they couldn't figure it out. Well, it shouldn't seem weird that they couldn't figure it out, but they seem to have discounted <laughs> it. I, I don't
0: know. Okay, hold on. Let G- Jeffrey, our organized crime expert, always has a unique perspective. Jeffrey?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, not to be an asshole, but uh, <laughs> it's amusing to me that Bill's willing to smear all these guys who say they got fucking, uh, you know, Go for syndrome. But he
3: doesn't want to smear the fucking State Department. What the fuck is that, man? I, I don't think I smeared the people with Gulf War Syndrome. I said it no, no, seems strange. I, 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 if, if I was, was to smear South the State people State them, that had oh, Gulf War Syndrome, I'd say those lackadaisical <laughs> cocksuckers are just trying to get VA benefits. I actually well, didn't that say that's that.
1: That's so you shouldn't interrupt until so I'm done because you'll find <laughs> out I but, uh, the But uh, uh, I have to say, DOS, CIA, three-letter agencies of dubious integrity. <laughs> yeah, you think so, if, I mean, if that shit's happened to State Farm people, um, as Will used to say about Afghanistan, who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares? Because I, I, I'll tell you right now, I bet you the Marine Security Guards, who are guarding those sons of bitches, are not reporting I got, uh, unless I'm mistaken, not reporting that they're getting buzzed by uh, by police weapons and shit like that. Same.
0: Well, that would be interesting, right? Yeah, I
3: never even thought of that. I, I haven't and heard that's about a any point of that. good Brilliant.
0: Uh, utterly brilliant.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. more security folks like the RSOs and shit.
0: Hmm. Why do yeah, you think?
3: Or, in the U.S. Embassy, there's all kinds of people that are not Department of State. Right? USA, USAID? FBI, there's all kinds. People there, you haven't heard about them either. That I know of. Again, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. It's harder to have, you know, a reason-sounding opinion if you actually dive in and get all the facts. It's a lot easier to not really pay attention and then just sort of off the top of your head with with confidence. Right, Tim? Hey, buddy. That's the COA.
2: That is is a COA that that will work when when you're in a pitch and even when you're not in a pitch. But,
3: uh,
2: <laughs> hey, I, I got tomorrow. Tomorrow is my political sociology class, right? Yes. And I had to read about five papers, and one of them was a study of a community that's outside of uh outside of uh on the Olympia Peninsula in Washington State. So they're close to the submarine base, and what they're most upset about is nuclear battleships, which cruise in and out of that base every 20 minutes, and they've got sloppy work habits because there's an oil spill that killed fish in the River that's connected to the sound. I mean, it's it's like you're reading this, and, and this is five, six, seven, I mean, it's like ten pages of this guy documenting all these concerns that people have, and they have this little group, which is what the paper's about. But, like, when people come to world problems, they don't want to talk about that shit. They only want to talk about nuclear battleships, and, oh, my God, you know, they could have a meltdown, blah, blah, blah. And wait, it's, it's wait a minute. What's the, a nu- people- what is a nuclear battleship? There's no such thing as a nuclear battleship. There's only submarines over there, in, in, in what's it? Bremerton. There's only it's a submarine base. And they don't see those bitches going in and out. Brem- they in and out at night.
0: Bremerton.
2: Brem- yeah, isn't it? Isn't that a sub base?
0: Yeah, Bremerton.
2: I know it. I know it's yeah, it's a sub base. Yeah. So so they it's it is it is it, and what you realize realizing is this this entire paper is being written about people who have no touch with reality in their local community. They they have. They, they're calling it ballot. They don't know anybody there. They don't understand that it's submarines. They're just complaining because they think nuclear is
0: dangerous, 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 so, dangerous. So they're doing what Will just said. They have veneer-level knowledge. They're wrapping that into exactly. a big opinion and then kaboosh, throwing it against the wall yeah, to see can, what will stick. Can,
2: and I can deflect any allegation of my binary knowledge by going deep into a sociology paper and just putting out shit on crazy people in Washington. I know, but you've
0: like shown it. us to be a very, very slick liar on occasion and a fabricator. Dude, I'm only trying and to I be a I, podcast guest. And I believe I'm, I'm, you, you. you. What was the thing you said when we were talking about the Wizard of Oz? Oh, you ra- you spun that whole fucking yarn that you were reading off the It wasn't a
2: yarn. It wasn't a that yarn. You read off the your internet. Issue, your issue with me. Was I you, had done my show prep thirty five seconds before you called me. If I had done it the night before, I would have sounded like somebody who did his research. You're just, but but no, it my, bothered my, me because you, it, you you it's just
0: you you, you. podcast. <laughs> bothered me. me. It bothered me because I believed
2: yeah, you. This I, I was yes. reading a legitimate PDF file. I wasn't making that up.
0: Go it ahead, was Jeff. A legit... We can Jeff that's sounds that's like the little guy. The, what's a little guy on Fantasy Island? It's a plane. It's a plane. We need to get Jeffrey a microphone because. Go ahead, Jeff.
1: I you could just, like, shut the fuck up and let me talk. That would be great. you saying, man. But, yeah, We were really having a good time. No, but seriously, you know, you read things that grab your imagination. And if you have intellectual curiosity, that's the road to disillusionment. Because, like Will was saying, all these guys got P- – I remember reading about all this PTSD shit from <clears throat> Vietnam in the 70s. And I started asking myself, wait a minute. What about those NVA dudes? Do they have PTSD? How about the Uh North Koreans and the Chinese in the Korean War? How come none of our enemies ever fucking have PTSD? It's always us. And so the answer is, it's fucking bullshit, most of it. It's bullshit. Because it doesn't exist for the other side. How could it only exist for one side?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I would offer you, Jeffrey, a book called The Sorrow of War, written by a North Vietnamese soldier.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does so he make so a lot of money because
0: he's got... No, no, you, deed, I, he, was in, he was in the series, he was that blonde-haired dude in the series, uh, that, that that Vietnam series.
2: Yeah, the PBS
0: he's, one. Yeah, he's, 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 he, he's a writer, but he's an infantryman in Vietnam. And uh Yeah, I would offer you that book. It's called The Sorrow of War. Pretty, fu- pretty fucking grim, yeah, man.
1: man. War's bad. War's bad. Yeah. I mean, uh, the guys who had it worst, I mean, you pointed this out to me. The guys who had it worst got it the least. Fucking POW.
0: they it's Stockdale, though. In Vietnam. Yeah.
1: So it's, pretty, it's like, you know, it's pretty like, it's like a, it's, uh, it's kind of like global warming. You know, that's how it works out. It's horse shit, you know what I mean? Right, right, right.
0: I don't agree with you, but I, 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 resp- I, I respect your ability to form an opinion on it.
1: Uh, people I know insist that I have PTSD. And I go, no, I'm an asshole who has an excuse now, that's all. There you go. <laughs>
0: there you, know? you go. All right, is there anything we haven't covered that, that that is left that we should cover? Will's getting impatient, I can tell. He's reading the he He's reading the paper a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, he's, he's got game. Does he have a game tomorrow? He's he's got a whole pre-gambling day routine, I believe.
0: Do you, Will? Do you have a pre-gambling routine?
3: No. In fact, we we had a game today. Oh. Everybody had a snow day. Casino never has a snow day, so.
0: <laughs> but you don't, I mean, but you never play online. You It's always like mon, no, mon, mono-y-mono.
3: Yeah, I don't play online. I, I tried it one time. I don't enjoy it at all.
0: Right. So. Tim, are you a gambler at all? No, no. I I I
2: went to Vegas. Well, I used to work in Vegas. And um, when I was at the Frontside Firearms Training Institute, which is really in Peru. And I and I won big one night on the on the blackjack table. I mean, I won big, and I uh, how I gave how every penny of that back. Oh, oh. four thousand, five thousand. I walked out of there with, I, and I um I I was unbelievable. And I tried to do that over and over again, and I gave every bit of that money back and then some, <laughs> trying to recreate the magic. So I, and that was just crap. I'm I'm not. I, it's the only one I think because I read somewhere on the internet. So it must be true that it's the best chances in. And I would play conservatively, but then I'd start drinking, and then, you know, all the money would be gone. I'd be like, God damn. Last time I was here, I won a lot of money. What the hell? Yeah, it's the, I'm not a gambler.
0: Jeffrey, no. right, hold on. You've got to be quiet so Jeff can talk. Um, are you a gambler?
1: <laughs> no, I'm not a gambler because I don't believe that hope is a co-op. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too lazy, I'm too
0: lazy too. You know, I'll gamble with my life, but I
1: won't
2: gamble with
0: my money. <laughs> there you go. There that's you a, go. that's exactly right. There's a smart man. Now, you saw my mom's famous words. The first time I went gambling up at uh Lake Tahoe, it's the North Shore. I saw America at a dinner show. Took <laughs> a took a girl by the name with no name. Yeah, took a exactly. Took a girl named yeah. Judy Whitehall. Up there and after i was probably 20 begging groceries at a store called Rayleighs in northern california tim's probably been there because they're uh northern california nevada i think and uh so afterwards it was it was the new harris hotel too so we went out and we played roulette and and whatnot and we were and we were drinking i was 20 but you're gambling so they they're serving you drinks so i went home and i got up the next day i was getting ready to go to i was going to junior college And my mom says, how was the concert? I said, it was awesome. America's good. And she said, uh, she goes, that's a beautiful hotel, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's brand new. And it's it's awesome, Mom. And she she looks at me and she says, who do you think paid for that? And I'm like, I don't know, Harris? And she's smoking a cigarette, drinking her coffee, right, in the morning. No. Suckers like you pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, what? Did you? Did you just call me a sucker? She said, you ever seen Las Vegas? I said, only pictures. She said, you see all those big hotels? That game's rigged, right? That game's rigged, Michael. And if you keep gambling, you're an idiot. And I've never really gambled since then. My mother, Corporal Punishment Kathleen, scarring me. <laughs> One final question. We'll start with Jeffrey because he likes he likes to go first. It makes him happy. So everybody be quiet so Jeff can talk. Um, Jeffrey, okay. who's the who's okay. the who's the voice inside your head?
1: Voice inside my head. That's a good question. Um, depends. <laughs> Whoever he is, he gives shitty advice. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends the situation, i
0: you No, know? but yeah. uh, so you know, have a lot of voices. You have a lot of voices. There's got to be a voice in your head. All right, we'll come back to you. You think about it. Will, who's the voice in your head?
3: I agree with Jeff. It depends on the situation. What are we talking about? What's the issue? What's wow. you know? It's. Uh, wow. You know I, I did not i, I did not I believe i would
0: i would discipline. did not believe i would get the it depends on the situation that's like second lieutenant at the base is cool Fucking cool right? it does though head.
3: all right
0: all right tim who's the voice <laughs> in your head who's the voice in your head
3: uh
2: that, that actor that did uh that's james bond got it did the seven seven up commercials where we were kids the uncola remember that the big black dude from hitting his like, oh it's seven Whenever I'm talking to myself in my head, it's that freaking guy. He's like, Ooh, you should be
1: young. Cora. Yeah. I,
2: I got great voices in my head. This girl. is
0: clearly fucked up. I'm, this is the real
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got one though. It's funny that Tim's is James Bond thing, because my voice in my head sometimes especially when I was younger, is a James Bond it's Shirley Bassey. Girl who sang <laughs> the Go the world and Sang it.
0: No. I don't mean the, who what the what is the tone and tenor of the voice? I mean who is it? Like the voice in my head is my mother's. My mother's voice is the one that the that, that is in my head. And let me make a comment about James Bond. I like the new James Bond, right? Um whatever that guy's name is, right? Because he's a fucked up dude, right? He's not all smooth and like, right? He's got the new James Bond, he's got he's a fucked up guy, he's got issues. Right? And uh, I like that about him. He's a fucking flawed hero. He's not like Sean Connery and Roger Moore and all those other fucking guys. Yeah. No, I, I like this guy, man. He's got fucking problems. The, uh, okay. Do, uh, I don't like it. You don't like anyone? I don't
1: like anything new.
0: Do you like anything?
1: do you like Do you like anything? I do like stuff. <laughs> Um, I like Goldfinger. <laughs>
0: Goldfinger?
1: Yeah. I like Las Vegas.
0: That's a great movie. I like,
1: I like the arcade. I, I, what I really like is the Texas Roadhouse. I, that's the only place <laughs> I've been in, Las Vegas.
0: <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what. I can remember, I think my mom took us to go see Goldfinger. And I don't know how old I was, maybe 10, 11, 12. I mean, but did big James Bond movie, right? So we went to the theater and i'll never forget when pussy galore shows up right oh yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and i knew better that i knew better than to fucking flinch on that shit right my eyes were straight ahead and i was like i could not believe that right i mean i'm not sure how that even got on tv at the time right or in yeah. the, or yeah. the movie that's like,
1: that's when, when it first came out yeah, and honor the part where the girl gets gold, she gets painted gold, not honor Blackman. a girl beside honor No, that. honor Blackman. I my dad. I, saw my dad, I was like seven. I go, Dad, is that girl there? Yeah, and we're in a theater, and I start laughing. <laughs> oh, a bear girl! Wow, I wait till I tell my friends, Justin, shut up. <laughs> but yeah. Uh. Was a
0: yeah. So I like Roger Craig. Daniel Craig. Roger Craig's running back for the Daniel 49ers. Craig, yeah. Grand Daniel Craig. Yeah, I like him because he's, he's, he's a fucked up guy. So, anyway. Anyway. All right, boys. This has been a really interesting discussion tonight. And uh, any final any, any final words of wisdom? Tim, we'll start with you.
2: Um, no. I, I, I have no words of wisdom for my fellow Americans because I'm sitting down here where it's 80 freaking degrees and sunny during the daytime and nobody wants to hear from me. And, and I don't blame them.
0: You're actually, if I was uh, if
2: I was up there I'd, in the in the cold, I wouldn't want to hear me either.
0: Well, we're so. actually hearing you through the yeti, which is amazing.
2: Oh yeah, I know. I'm very happy now that I can't believe that I had a microphone. Anyway, anyway <laughs> no words, no no words of of wisdom to me other than to say that I'm hearing jets take off almost continuously from the McAllen airport. That means there's a bunch of Hispanic people coming to your neck of the woods because they ain't allowed
3: <laughs> to stay here. So, good luck with that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, any words of wisdom as we sign off?
3: No, I just got to thank you for that, though, Tim. I really do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're doing what we can here, bro.
0: <laughs> Jeffrey, sh- everybody, be quiet so Jeff could talk. Jeff, any words of wisdom for everybody?
1: Yes. no, right. I have no words of wisdom. I have to go take Javiscon because my stomach. Uh, Other than that, out, man. Thanks for letting me speak, though.
0: You're, you're <laughs> we have to get you a microphone. The um, I will tell you this though. I think there's something medicinal in the sound of military aircraft, it's marine aircraft, right? You know the sounds and you hear them. It's almost like you know when when a mother, you know, takes her hand and a baby's fussing and she just like rocks the baby's cradle, and just the baby's like, oh, okay, I'm good. Yeah, those noises. If you live in San Clemente, California, you know, that that you hear from SOI, it's like, right? It's like your mother, like, rocking your cradle, just just good sounds that you like. And so I'm happy to be on a couple of air stations here and hearing those sounds. You're just like, oh, it's so nice. All right. So nice to be I home. smell,
2: smell a yeah. helicopter fuel this morning. I remember that so well.
0: Yeah, just a nice, just nice comforting sounds. Right. So anyway, all right, boys. Thank you very much. Uh, have a great week. Will, we expect another seventy pages out of you next week because I'm keeping track. So.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> have a great week, Yeah, I Jeff.
1: can do it. Okay, guys. Right. See, you. Okay, see you later, guys.
0: that'll do it on a Friday (laughs) you know my favorite favorite discussions are wide ranging discussions and I like it when they switch back really fast yeah when you go to talk about one thing and then like slew over to another one immediately without any warning and then everybody follows the discussion that way too yeah I don't know if it's normal... But I... I think that stuff is funny. I think it's hilarious. And uh, those guys are funny normally. So... And then the other thing I think that's funny... As I do this thing with them... Is... When they... As I said earlier... Right at the start... Is when they start about... When they talk about their, their own lives. Yeah. Just their normal stuff in their life. For whatever reason... I find that funny. So, on this fourth day of February, in the year 2020, thanks for listening. From Cherry Point, from Marine Corps Air Station. Cherry Point. Home of the Second Marine Air Wing. Yeah, Boomer Milstead sent me an email. It's Second Marine Air Wing. It's not Second... Second... Oh no. I'm even screwing that up. It's Second Marine Aircraft Wing. Not Air Wing. Yeah, he said that to me. So I emailed them back. Do they know that? Because they say Air Wing. <laughs> and he... he he emails back I don't think they do <laughs> uh, Boomer's a funny guy so Boomer get your shit together man anyway I've got to call Boomer I'm going to drive by where he lives maybe I'll stick my head in and say hi to him this weekend tomorrow, Saturday when I drive down to Buford so i got to shoot him an email Uh, But yeah, from Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, outside of beautiful Havelock, North Dakota. Havelock, North Carolina, that is. Uh, Have a great day. Uh, Monday, Grant Newsham will be with us, so I'll get that done. And I might even do a bonus segment on the Mensa Brothers because I have some time Saturday that I think maybe I'll drag their asses back on and get them to talk about themselves more. Yeah, it's one of the things I enjoy. Little simple pleasures in life, right? Introducing Jeffrey first, (laughs) because he likes that. Uh, But um, hopefully, the next time you hear them, I've about had enough of Jeffrey's shit audio. Yeah. So, everybody needs to sound like Tim. Hey, here's the, but the funny thing about Tim, if you listen to it, was he spent a bunch of money on this, on this Yeti microphone, but he, he hasn't had the settings right, and that's why every time he thought he would mute himself and then cough, we would hear it. <laughs> so, he's sitting there talking into this microphone that's not even turned on. And his audio is coming through this headset he wears that happens to have a microphone. Dumber than a bag of hammers, right? But he still sounded good. That was that was the impressive thing about it. So we've got to get Will's audio and Jeff's audio um, where Timmy's is. And it'll make for a much better listening experience for you. And, you know, that's what we're all about. So anyway... Uh, From the home of the Second Marine Air Ring. Have a great day. See you on Monday with Grant, and maybe Tuesday or Wednesday with the the Bozo Brothers. And then again on Friday with the Bozo Brothers. So I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. If I could help you help somebody, please do not hesitate. Right? Please do not hesitate. Um, there's a blueprint for people. And I've got it. And so if I could share it with somebody who's struggling, as I said, do not hesitate. On that note, I'm out.